Yay, team. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, the places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 283 is recorded live October 11th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we know what it is to be stink bugged. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Oh, well, I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, I feel like it's been so long since I've been online. I mean, it's not that we haven't tried, <laughs> but it's almost like you're in Timbuktu and I'm in Kalamazoo and nobody wants to talk in the middle. No. No, I hear that about Kalamazoo sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's, this is crazy. You know, technology. I, I, I've said this before in the podcast, but it seems like this was much easier about five years ago. That's something with everything how it is now, and it seems to be a battle just to get online and connected. But we certainly appreciate you coming on and also all the guests in the chat room. We're getting in that fall diving weather, so the uh, if you're getting done with the Thirsty Thursday Dives uh, you've probably been out of the water for a while, unless you're making it a night dive. We have Derek and Eric and Karen all in the chat room. Uh, if you'd like to listen to us in the chat room, we record live on Thursdays about 9.30-ish, <laughs> a little bit in the ish. Uh, today we're getting started right about 10 o'clock, but hopefully we've worked through these bugs. Um, the last episode, 382, people heard the beginning part, and all of a sudden everything kind of cut out, and your, your computer actually died, didn't it, Mac? Uh, yeah, it went belly up. I've lost all sorts of information. I'm really ticked off, and I spent 200 bucks trying to recover the information off the hard drive, and it ain't coming out. Yeah, yeah that, that's always terrible. So he, he Max on a new rig, and then once we got that set up, we had to play all, all sorts of fun with getting microphones and everything to, to talk and be visible, and we thought we had all worked out, and then we spent 15, 20 minutes fighting through it today but i hope i you know knock on wood we've we've got this licked and we'll get to it so uh kind of a light day on the articles in the news so we'll we'll rip through this one pretty quick but that's good because i think we got a bunch of diving to talk about because it's long <laughs> <laughs> so the first one we have coming up oh and in here here's technology You're gonna bite me in the butt it wants to reload the article uh we have a, a scuba diver in Lake Monroe founds, finds sunken car with a body inside. And this one, uh, when I did this, the search looking for articles to talk about this week, because uh, we, we've got friends of the show on the east side of the state of Michigan who do a lot of diving in that area. And I was thinking, ah, Monroe Township, I, I bet one way or another we know who this diver was. A person scuba diving in Lake Monroe earlier this week came across a submerged vehicle they had a body inside. The Monroe County Sheriff's Office got a call when the scuba diver was in a quarry about 7 p.m. on Wednesday. He came across a car on its roof in the quarry about 25 feet deep. Uh, the dive team uh, members went to the scene and found the car with a body inside. The car was removed from the scene. The remains have been sent to the Wayne County Medical Examiner. 
During the dive, we're told authorities also found a second car about 30, 40 feet away. This car was determined to have been stolen out of the city of Monroe. Authorities didn't have any other other information at this time about the first car or the body. And, you know, the, the question that immediately comes to my mind is, uh, how long do they think it was in there? Is this something where the, the divers came across it and it was a, a fresh car deposited? Or is this one of those things where uh, they may have been there a little bit? I'm curious why they call it Lake Monroe when they say it's in a quarry. And the second part is I've dove a couple of quarries or areas that they took rock out of when they were building things around Monroe. Uh-huh. And it's right by a path that it's not unusual to find cars there. And in fact, some guys I know go there to salvage them, bring them up, get the insurance, you know, buy it from the insurance company and then fix them up and basically they have a car. So I'm just curious. I'd like to know if this is near where I used to dive. Oh, okay. And yeah, because they're calling it Lake Monroe, and let me see if I can right and then a quarry. Yeah, let, let me see if I can search this without breaking down the internet. Uh, Lake Monroe, and I think I'm gonna never know. Google will return for us, and they actually show it as as uh, Lake Monroe. They said it's a lake in Michigan, and uh, you're, yeah, you're exactly. It looks like a classic quarry where it's uh, a man-made body of water that's gone right to the border. Two Google reviews on. Lake Monroe. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, the, the, the first uh, review is one that was posted six hours ago, and it says, so many dead bodies get found in here. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, which I'm is looking sad. at it, too, and that's not where I used to dive was not a state park. Oh, is it a state park? Yeah, it says uh, Lake Monroe, Indiana. Oh, no, that says Indiana. Yeah, what the hell am I getting? Yeah. You, you, there, there is one in Indiana. Well, son of a gun! Oh, here's a here's a photo. Uh, this is this is another article. Let me click on this. Well, this is lowing, lowing. <laughs> me, me speak real well. Uh, well, this is loading. Paste this in the chat rooms. You guys can follow along. This is this this article. A little bit more involved, and it had a photo. So it says uh, this. This says gives us a little bit more detail. Uh, a sunken sedan, uh, the body determined to be a male of unknown age. At the time, report according to detectives from the Monroe County Sheriff's Department, officials said the body appeared to have been in the water for a long period of time, although a specific estimate is still unknown. Well, I'm, I'm in the middle of webpage hell, which uh, whoever this uh, newspaper is are going to wonder why nobody... Pays. Why would you pay for a subscription to this mess and then put up with all the crap that they're putting up? Um, about 7 p.m., a blue Chevy Impala was extracted from the Monroe, Monroe Quarry, known as Lake Monroe. Water was about 24 deep, feet deep where the, the vehicle was found. A GMC envoy reported stolen Monroe was also pulled up from the water. So that's that second vehicle they were talking about. Vehicles are found 30 to 50 feet apart. Uh, near the site of Bill Gross pending water slide restaurant. What does that mean? Near the site of Bill Gross's pending water slide restaurant off Hull Road between East Dunbar and Lake uh, Pleiocene Roads, Monroe Township. There's no connection between the two. Uh, okay, I just found that one pictorial of it with a map and. I know where it's at now because if you cross the Raisin River and go down to my right is this place, 
and the quarry I used to dive is north of that and away from the water. And I was trying to find it. Well, you see where they're pulling they're pulling the the uh, the vehicle up the cliff there. No, I got I'm on the different oh. than you are. Yeah, interesting. I'm I'm sure somebody local. We got we got friends of the show who are over in that area. So if somebody knows a little bit about it, uh, you know, give us a shout and. Maybe they can give us a story, or maybe before next week I'll call somebody up and see what they know. We know. Yeah, the quarry, the quarry we used to dive in was pretty nice, but kids would dive off the cliff. Most of them did not pay any attention that about five feet from where they were jumping, you know, was death waiting for them to jump there, you know? Yeah. There's so much debris on that slope, and these kids could not see in there. They're just jumping off, and it's like how close you're, you are to dying, but on the south side of the core we dove at, they still had the rail tracks that went down. They had the dump cars still there. And then if you went past where they were digging off to the left, up by the side, somebody had taken huge rolls of that steel matting you put down for roads, mm-hmm. dumped it in there, and I was just waiting for the, the catch line to rush through and it would spring open. And if you were there when it happened, you're oh. dead. Oh, yeah. And then you go further in the back, and it was full of 50-gallon drums. That side had absolutely zero life, no freaking vegetation. <laughs> and once, once you see the barrels, you figure, I think I'm going to go to the other side now. Wow. That's, that's an unfortunate thing is a lot of these lakes uh, have that. And then there was that period of time when uh, environmental concerns started to get a little bit more serious, and people who had stuff decided to ditch it because they didn't there was there was a while there where there was no mechanism for getting rid of anything you were yeah if you came if you bought a property and there was barrels of sludgy junk in it there, there was no amount of money you could pay anybody to take it so uh what people would do is load it into vehicles and it would just kind of disappear yeah know, the the end of a road near a creek or something and you know they ditch it and that happened so um i I'd like to say that I don't think that's happening that often anymore, but yeah, when when you see those uh, dead spaces, it makes you kind of wonder. It's like you've seen some of them. It's like a dump truck is going down the road, and you think it's a city dump truck fixing the road because the black goop is coming out of the back, <laughs> like you put like you put over loose gravel, yeah. and you assume that's what they're doing, and they're just getting rid of sludge. There you go. Well, see now with the with uh, the, all this. Uh, biodiesel type stuff. You, I know of uh, people who are just like uh, they got burners in their garage and they'll burn a lot of. Ah, you don't want to breathe it though. Whew. Well, there we go, boy. That's a, a nice opening for the for the show. Now this next one, uh, this is a follow up. That they have a, some more information article we had covered previously. That's now military dot com. Navy officer quickly doomed by air with rebreather diving gear. Navy officer. Brian Budgie, or Budge, assuming the E is silent, jumped off the dive boat, was handed his underwater camera, and probably took a handful of breaths from his dive rig before he lost consciousness and sank beneath the waves. That's the conclusion of the Honolulu medical examiner, the dive equipment maker, and Budgie's wife. Following the drowning death on May 20th while conducting a training dive using a complex rebreather device off Waikiki. Used by Navy SEALs, these exotic closed-circuit rebreathers, which don't emit bubbles, recycle expelled air, remove carbon dioxide, add oxygen, and other gases through a loop mouthpiece. 
Divers can go farther deeper and stay under for longer than with traditional scuba gear. Divers also can be fatal in a hurry if not used properly. Uh, Budgie uh, 35 had not turned on the oxygen supply to his Liberty rebreather, according to the equipment inspector by maker Divesoft. Reports indicate he was breathing on his loop on the boat. He got in the water. He was able to talk to some people on the boat while in the water, and then within moments after that, he was gone, said Ashley Budgie, his wife, who was not on the dive. Retired submarine officer, nuclear engineer, rebreather instructor Mike Jones said a lot of people don't realize is that the feeling of needing to take a breath is caused by the rising level of carbon dioxide in the body, not by lack of oxygen. But a scrubber and a rebreather removes exhaled carbon dioxide, so you don't get that feeling you need to take a breath. You don't get the feeling there's a problem, said Jones, who was also a science advisor to the commanders of the U.S. Pacific Command and Pacific Fleet. Unconsciousness can occur in about five breaths, he said. As he waited in the water for the dive group, without anyone watching him, Brian was essentially rebreathing his own air, each time with less and less oxygen content until he passed out and sank to the seafloor, his wife and expert said. Ashley Bungie, who has three young children with Brian and a third born two months after his death, posted an account of the events to scuba accidents and risk management techniques for divers' Facebook group as a cautionary warning. I'm sharing this with you because my husband's death was preventable, and after what I have been through the past 12 weeks since his death, I'm hoping this, sharing his story and the details of his final minutes will help any and all of you from having your family suffer the same fate as I we are now, he said on the page. At the time of the planning dive, the Sea Tiger Wreck, which lives 120 feet of water, Brian Budgie was a student in a rebreather training and diving for the first time on Trimix, which is a combination of helium, oxygen, nitrogen. Brian Budgie, an enlisted limited-duty officer assigned to the U.S. Pacific Fleet Submarine Force Integrated Undersea Surveillance System Department, was diving off-duty. An avid underwater photographer was already a scuba diver. He liked the technical challenge of rebreathers and diving capabilities that came with him, as wife said. He had previously sailed a couple of 36-foot sailboats from Washington State to Hawaii and started daydreaming about expeditions to untouched wrecks in the South Pacific. And they go on. Um, we won't read this because they, they, they talk about some other details. But, you know, when I didn't, that didn't dawn on me. I've, you know, it's, it seems obvious at some you know, that you have to have your oxygen on, but I didn't. It just it didn't dawn on me that you wouldn't realize that you had done that, and it didn't take long. You know, five six breaths and he had blacked out. You know, the scrubber is scrubbing the carbon dioxide, so you're not sensing that. I just wonder what his meters or his indicators gave him an indication of. Does it do and not being a uh, rebreather diver, I don't know. Do you have indicators that would tell you that you're you're not your oxygen isn't going i mean would that be well a, if you're breathing in that loop the sensors are there one would think the sensors would give you some indication but i thought but, the interesting part they also talked about was the uh rebreathers have a 25 fold increased risk of component failure compared to scuba and they also said they had 181 recreational rebreather fatalities between 98 and 210, which is 10 times the rate of death among scuba divers. Yeah, and and we've known that rebreathers have been higher risk, but and it's been for a variety of reasons. Some of them was because many people were diving uh, partially homemade type systems, and the electronics hadn't just gotten to the port. I mean, they're definitely not a foolproof type of item, which 
this showed here because here's somebody who didn't sound like he was a rookie diver. He was probably fairly new on the rebreather from what the article indicated. But, you know, turn your air on. I mean, how many times have we done that in open circuit, even, you know, when we, we should be checking better? It's an interesting article, and it still gives you food for thought. And if you're rebreathing, you know, if you're on a rebreather, you really like to say you want to be meticulous on every single dive. Yeah, you want to do the checklist. It's easy to be complacent, and that's what can happen. So, you know, our wishes, best wishes go out to his family and his children. I mean, that's tough. I still also don't think this was written by a diver. No, no, it certainly wasn't. You used can... by, it said used by Navy SEALs, exotic closed circuit rebreathers. It's, I, yeah, that, that sounds a little bit like you were, you, you got information from a variety of sources other than that. That one guy sounded like he was pretty knowledgeable, but uh, I don't know why they called it exotic. Cause it, it, it really isn't anymore. It's, it's, it's becoming mainstream in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I hate to say it, but I, I think that we're not too far away from it be, becoming almost normal. And that's what the rebreather companies are have a desire for is that, uh, you know, because there, there was one of the the rebreather companies that it actually was testing starting people on rebreathers, you know, trying to see instead of, you know, having people do open circuit and work their way through it, just start them on rebreathers. And but the cost is just too high at this point. Well, they're also... I, uh, the presentation I went to a couple of years ago when I first, you know, tried out a couple of the different rebreathers was this was being done already, and you're talking six, seven years ago now, down in the Caribbean, in the areas in Asia even, that have warm water and diving, you know, 12 months out of the year. Mm-hmm. That they were, when you start, you start with the rebreather, because then you're going to learn how to use the bailout, which is scuba anyhow. Right. So you're not going to go from baby steps to the other. You're learning the right way to do it, depending upon the scuba setup as your backup. Well, I I can see an argument made for, you know, if, if a rebreather wouldn't be a barrier. I mean, if, if you're looking to buy your own gear to spend, you know, ten to $12,000, I mean, you'd probably be twelve to $15,000 starting out between the training that would go through it because you'd have to have regular diver training plus learn how to use the gear plus buy the gear. That's just a, a huge barrier. I mean, you, you, you couldn't get anybody going into trying out, you know, other hobbies. If you had this before you even had much of a try, you were investing that amount of. And, you know, I, to me, I don't understand how that part would help get more divers in the water because even right now it's an expensive sport. The, the, the normal person does not have that fun or the funds kids do not unless the parents already are divers and they have gear to share. I, I think we're, we're quite a ways away from it. Plus as this indicated, and this is, and we probably almost need to do a rebreather episode, but as an open circuit diver diving with rebreathers, and we've got, you know, three at least in the dive club. Now uh, we don't know. We, we don't have like a, an open circuit diver. I can look at your gauge and see how much air you've got. You know, I can also see how you're acting, how you're behaving. You know, I, I can help you with just about anything. A, a rebreather, it's not always obvious, and it's not communicated to the other divers when there's a problem, potential problem. 
So maybe that's something that these rebreathers need to do, or 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 maybe they do remote sensors. Like we can, uh, you can have a, a tank with a sensor on it, and some of these computers you can have multiple divers reading that sensor. Maybe the same thing needs to happen with the rebreather. You know, if you know, diving with a buddy isn't much help if you, know, you, you can't help your 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 uh, dive partner. So let's take a look at the next one. Uh, this is the world's oldest champagne discovered near, I'm going to say it's as Island, has been found to be undrinkable. If you remember, we talked about this one earlier in the year as well. About eight years ago, many bottles of what purported to be the world's oldest champagne were discovered in a shipwreck near the islands of Åland in a semi-autonomous marine province off Finnish's southwest coast. There are hopes of champagne bottled about two centuries ago by famed champagne house uh, Vivu Clo, and I, I have no idea if I've even pronounced that correctly, but we'll pretend I did, could be auctioned off or mixed with a newer vintage. However, analysis of the shipwreck bubbly by the French vintner that made it found the beverage to be undrinkable. According to the public broadcaster Holland Radio, Holland's cultural minister uh, Tony Asmua uh, probably Asma, Asuma, visited France last week to hear about the campaign's firm's analysis. A sample bottle of the Shipwreck Bubbly was sent to the bottler last year, or the Vintner. The last time the Champagne Treasury discovery made headlines in the world, it also caused a local controversy when the Finnish to Finland's deputy chancellor of justice reprimanded the regional government for covering the shipwreck cargo before receiving permission from the National Board of Antiquities. In 2011 and 2012, Holland's government had sold off some of the bottles for record prices at auction and pocketed the considerable proceeds. So so the local government pulled it up and went, eh. And then the, the federal government is like, you know, you didn't kiss the ring and get it all blessed by us. Yeah, somebody got some money from it. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, hopefully it was a locals. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, hopefully it wasn't dirty politics and it just went into somebody's pocket. I said, sure, it was champagne, but not the quality that we wanted, so it was not worth it. From now on, we will classify the bottles of champagne as museum pieces, not something consumed. Before the champagne was deemed undrinkable, there were plans to pop open the bottles in 2022, marking Allen's 100th year of autonomy. Didn't sound too autonomous if you're getting chewed out for bringing them up. Uh, didn't it? Didn't it also say that you could drink it, but it wasn't that good? So when they say undrinkable, I, I thought it was like foul, really gross. Yeah. But if you could drink it, it just wouldn't hurt you, and doesn't taste good. That to me is different. Well, and that's the thing is, if I'm the vintner, you know, and I'm making the new stuff, and I'm known as a premium brand, there's really not. A, you know, it it obviously wasn't going to pass their quality standards. Yep. Uh, because champagne, uh, you know, and this is going to show my ignorance, but I believe it's kind of a sweeter, uh, you know, the, you know, champagne I don't believe is like wine where you, re, you know, certain varieties of wine you want to age. And not all wine ages well. I mean, some of it actually tastes worse the older it gets. It depends what the sugar content is, what the conditions it's stored in, uh, what the intent of the... The, when they bottled it, did they want it to age and develop, you know, flavors and subtleties? But, uh, yeah, this is really not surprising. 200 years, it might be a little skanky. <laughs> uh, 
I would think so. Yeah. And then you're looking like they're showing that there's a photo there that he's holding a bottle. That cork on the end does not look awful healthy, does it? It's kind of. Oh, no, I just wonder if that was one of the ones they said they recorked them and took the. If they had any bubbly or fizz, they took that out. So it would be a good, what is it, like a shelf bottle right. or display bottle. Yeah. Well, so is that one of them with the new cork? That's hard to say. I mean, he's standing on the shoreline, so I guess he could. they could have gone out there and done it. Looks like he's got a, he's been mic'd by the TV people. Hard to tell. Where's that headphone? Uh, but yeah, who knows? Always fun when we, we get these. They have searching the Ottawa River for a steamship 147 years underwater. In this article, again, we won't read all the details of it, so uh, you'll want to go take a look at our show notes and read it because he goes through a story describing what it what his search process was for finding it. But this, just to kind of sum it up, the uh, Ottawa had been selected by Queen Victoria as a permanent capital. Uh, her Majesty would never visit Canada herself, but is said to despise traveling on the water due to seasickness. Instead, she sent her son Al- Albert Edward, Prince of Wales, later King Edward the Seventh, to make the trip. The 18-year-old prince would visit Newfoundland, the Maritime, said in the province of Canada, province of Canada, later Ontario and Quebec, and opened the Victoria Bridge between the islands of Montreal and the south shore of the St. Lawrence River. Future King would also visit Ottawa, lay the cornerstone for the Parliament buildings. Prince then boarded a steamship named Anne Sisson, owned by Brewster and Mulholland from Montreal. The 139-foot sidewheel steamer had been outfitted for the Prince and his entourage, who boarded the Elmer on a tour north of, north of the Ottawa River. As evening approached, the royal party decided to stay overnight in Kuyan. The next day, she docked at the Potomac, and the Prince boarded the horse railway to take edward the remainder of his ottawa valley tour that's it really for the steamship's moment in royal spotlight the vessel returned to duty as a lumber steamer later strengthened it would become a passenger steamer in 1863 transporting people between almer and pontiac for the union forwarding and railway company records show the ship was good enough for the prince was stripped and abandoned in the ottawa river in 1871 so uh this is what gets me. I'm against archaeology or preservation, but yeah, I got that ship 147 years. It's been underwater. It was stripped and abandoned. That is not a pristine time capsule of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Just wondered, does it get zebras up there in Quaggas? I would think so, but looking at this photo that they show, it didn't, I'm not seeing zebras on that. So does on Lake Ontario not have them? You mean those pieces of wood on the bottom or is the ship? You mean the pristine, the pristine stuff? Yeah. That, so. Yeah, those four pieces of lumber? Yeah. Is that the wreck? I don't know. Uh, this possible shipwreck is the caption. But uh, I don't know. That, that looked like I have to see what type of vessel it was to begin with, but that does not look. Now there there is a video playing on the right side of my screen here, and that that is showing like a keel and some hull board. I'm just looking here. It says laying underwater, out of view, of, hidden for decades. The ship's charred wood suggests it has been burned and left to sink into the sand. Iron truss was also strewn about the bottom, possibly part of the extra support structure needed for the heavier engine. Blah blah. 
Yeah. And it's like in those days it was junk. Now it's treasure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I could see as somebody personally deciding, I want to know what happened to that, finding it, researching it, you know, you know finding information, researching it, going there. You know, well, you, you, I, you, I know the picture of the five people walking out there with two rubber rafts and ankle deep water playing with shipwrecks. That's my idea of really roughing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I could, I could probably see the bottom. Yeah, but now they're taking steps to register and preserve the site. Why? <laughs> I just don't understand. Well, I here to get sidetracked and and to, to dabble in a little bit of the political. I was thinking the same thing when they're. Uh, I was watching one of these home remodeling shows. And it's the one I think they call it Property Brothers, where they got the the two brothers who are uh, they they take they help somebody take their existing house, remodel it so it it sells for more, and then they buy another home and sometimes they even help them remodel that one so it's what they really want. And it was this brick house, probably built in the twenties and thirties, and the whole neighborhood. I mean, we're talking the whole several blocks had been designated a historical landmark. So anything you wanted to do to it, and they just wanted to enlarge the windows, you had to get approval, and the Historic Planning Commission said no. So, yeah, you, you, how, how unfortunate you got to live in a museum piece. Well, how, what happens if your house accidentally burns down like that? Well, then you get fined. You have to I'm rebuild sure. it the same way? I have no idea. I, I, it probably depends on who you ask and what state or country you're in. That is, I just feel bad for that. It's, yeah, it's not like we're talking about you're living in Colonial Williamsburg, which has all been rebuilt. That's so. Yeah, but you know that before you get into that. Well, if you do, yes, and I think these people probably did, but you know, it's, it's hard to tell. But uh, and the same thing with this. You know, here here was something that was beyond you know, anything else. It was trash. They had finished it, disposed with it, threw it out, and if it was never to be seen again, they were happy. It is, and then this last article I have, and, and really it's not. We call it article. Maybe we call it potentially cool scuba gear. Oh crap! I think I've lost the article. Not showing what it was. It was Armstrong Marine. Armstrong Armstrong Marine delivers two dive boats to Hawaii. Here I got the article to come back up, and uh, you know. And this is by Workboat, who who made the vessel, so it's a big advertisement for them. But I was looking at that, and those are some pretty nice boats. Well, I posted the uh, Facebook, or not the face, but their Facebook site. That's what you want to go to. Oh, the <laughs> I put it on there. Uh, for the other guys, yeah, for earlier, we were talking, I, I posted that. You ought to look at some of those boats. Why don't you do that? Put yeah. Armstrong and kick it up and see where you go. In, in Facebook? Well, just put Armstrong Marine, and it should come up. So it'll, it'll come up with the Armstrong Marine USA, and then I'll say Strong Marine Home Facebook. So you type that in Google? Is that where you're typing that? I just put it in my heading, not whatever. But the pictures of some of their boats are just freaking nice. But you got to get it up strong in there, otherwise you'll get a different item. Pages loading. In Google, they're showing a map that they're from. I was going back to uh, show chat, live show chat. 
And I think I put it there. I'm looking for it. Oh, my goodness. This is a website I should not be allowed to visit. We could just end the podcast now, and I could just drool over all these boats. But they've got fire, patrol, dive, fishing, passenger, pilot, service, landing craft. You click on the dive boats? I, yeah, I did a, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's like, those are awesome boats. And the way they've got the twin engine set up on right and port and starboard with the, and the ladder between them. Mm-hmm. Talk about nice balance, too. Yeah. Well, and I like this uh, this yeah. approach to the catamarans. I've, I've seen some of the other style. I call them more of a recreational style. But this looks like this would be very, very comfortable for practical for diving. Yeah, this catamaran dive boat. Wow. Did you did you get the one that looks it's, it looks like a a black siding red roof line? Did you see that one on the Facebook their site? That's the front picture. But when you first get there, you take a look at one that's running down the road at, and you got a good shot, a shot of the aft end of it with the split back engines left and right. Yeah. Open centerboard. You yep. see that one? Yeah. All right. Now if you go right up, scroll straight up, should be that nice big black one. Meaning that would be a really nice one for diving because you're inside, you're protected. Is that the one where it's got the, the lift off the back? I'm going down to see if I can find what you're looking at. Oh, well, I'm still on their regular page. Oh, okay. Let me, let me go to Facebook. I'll I'll find it there. But this regular page, wow, that's yeah. And and I'm I'm looking at this. This is one of those things where if you have to ask. Oh yeah, yeah. Because a lot of these have a. All these dive boats, uh, about half of them have a lift on the back for bringing you in, yeah. and then it has a soft cover over the back deck that looks like you could be taken off in really nice weather. And then they've got a cabin, and yeah, beautiful. And this beautiful. the other one looks like a big cat, two big hulls, yeah. uh, the structure in the middle, plus a, 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 a pilot's cabin or pilot house on top. I want to say when I was at the Bering Springs Fair about three years ago, there was a fishing boat. That looked an awful lot like this, not nearly as long, and they were giving it a deal, and that was at half price, one hundred nine thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, and and I'm, those are the ones you you think about you'd like to have, but you know you're never going to. No, well, and that's what had happened to the guy who bought it. Uh, it was a kind of a sad story, and I think I may have even told it in the show before. But uh, he had disability uh, from his em- employer and the insurance company in an attempt to bribe him off says well what would you love to do and he says well, i'd love to be a fishing charter boat captain so the insurance company bought him a boat paid for the training did everything and got him to sign off on it and so he did it for about nine months and then he, he came comes back for his uh you know follow-up physical and his doctor says what the heck you doing you're gonna die and he goes well, what do you mean and he says you're just, you know, all your you know things are coming back you know in he ended up telling them that he was doing a dive boat charter, and he said, "With your condition, that's the last thing you should have been doing." So he, that, <laughs> so he was, he had to sell it. So he, you know, oh geez, yeah. So and that's, and I was looking at that because I mean that's, you know, was the, the saying when you want to buy something, death, divorce, or disaster is your best way to go because you get deals. But even at one hundred nine thousand dollars, I just there's just no way, and you'd have to, you'd have to really know what you're doing. Um, absolutely and have a good use for it yeah well i mean i would i I think diving counts i would i would have a good use for it well, there's a lot of people with uh Marie armstrong look not finding 
I'll have to come back to it later. So that does it for Scuba in the News. We'll end that up. So since we, 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 it hasn't been since we last recorded, but it has been before we could get to that part of the show. We're going to talk about diving. I think since we've talked about diving, we had actually had the, uh, why can't I say it? The ecology dive? The ecology dive, yes. We had had the ecology dive since then. <laughs> Darn it. Jeez. Well, if we start off backwards, uh, tonight they did have a river dive, but they got out there. It was too fast, too dark, and too deep, meaning it's overrun the banks again. Oh. So I think I, I saw that right up this uh, this evening. Because Jim, I think, was out there, one of the newer guys. Uh, I don't know if Karen was going to be out there or not. But uh, my understanding, it did not go because of the river was not cooperating. Yeah, we've had a lot of rain. It's been rainy, rainy, rainy. And then I know John has uh, finished, which he did a couple of weeks ago, his rebreather. But he has been back several times back to, uh, I think, Gilboa doing some diving. Bob just came back from Gilboa for the meet and greet. Yeah, I see that. Kevin Kevin just posted something on Facebook where he was at Gilboa. Oh yeah, he was out uh, with Amy. They did. She did. She's becoming a pretty darn good photographer. Yeah, you've seen some of the stuff she's been putting out. I I haven't had a chance to really pay close attention, but photographer or diver, I mean, she's getting a lot of time in. Oh yes, yeah, she is. Hopefully, they're going to be able to sustain that too over the years. Yeah, and then now, of course, Kevin's got a brand new boat, mm-hmm. so he can get some more serious diving in. Yep, and I like that boat that he got. Another. Nice size. And then we had another diver in the club bought a uh, air compressor. <laughs> yeah, I, now they, my understanding is he, he did get that started or something, and people were commenting, commenting on uh, when he starts it up, does all the power in the neighborhood go down and the lights dim? <laughs> so I'm not sure how that turned out, but I did. I think I saw something earlier that uh, Big John – has that working or had it was working towards getting that started. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, and I not knowing anything about those compressors, it looked pretty to me. <laughs> looked pretty healthy too. Yeah. I've seen compressors that look like that at fire departments. I'm going to say that fairly new and I, modern one. And that came from a fire department as I recollect. Oh, did it? If that explains it. Cause I do believe so. Yeah. Cause it, they tend to go a little bit, fancier than what your average citizen or even dive shop would do. Right. And then quite often they find out they're not using it as much as they thought. And it becomes, you got to maintain it. You got to do logs and charts. And a lot of times they then dispose of them. And if the price is right. Now, did I lose you? No, I don't hear you. No, no. Okay. It's just soup. We got a, we got a clear connection. That is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, on the ecology dive, let's let's go ahead and touch back on that. That was a that was a nice event. We do we have any idea on how many uh, divers we had in the water? I well, we had twenty five participants, not counting the two young men that were doing magnet fishing, which was really fun, and for them and their mother really enjoyed it. I don't think she expected to spend four hours there, but uh, yeah. the kids were really pleased with the uh, mask and stuff. And uh, I think they enjoyed themselves tremendously. I think we had 
13, 14 divers in the water. Uh, we did not get as much as we did last year, and that's because the river has scoured the bottom big time. But we did get more for the steel than we did last year, I believe. And uh, we did contribute that towards the fund for a Marie who was hurt in that accident. Oh, yeah, that was sad. Well, I mean, sad, yes, but glad she's alive. Oh, yeah. And and yeah. her incentive is to get out and be able to get back to diving. So that's really great. Yeah. Hopefully she's on her yeah. way to recovering and getting in the water soon. Yep, and I, I, I see they had the uh, trip to Alpina, and Karen was on that one, yep. as well as Jim and others. Yep. Uh, they had a fabulous time. Uh, the pictures were great. The weather was pretty decent. And they even got a river dive in, as I recollect. I think it was a semi-blow day, so hit the river when it's like that. And I think Ted was, uh, he's been diving quite a few years, but this is the first time he's really been on some wrecks of significant size. And he was just, you know, pleased to all get out to be out there. So, you know, they have been, the last couple of months, uh, a good number of people have been getting wet. And getting wet often. Uh, they've been down to Michigan City, dove the breakwater. Muskegon's been dove. Havana's been dove. I can't remember who said they were on Max Rec. Oh, somebody's been on Max Rec? I didn't hear I, that. I had heard somebody was on it. Sand is really encroaching on everything. Oh, and it seems to do that cycle. Yep. I well, remember. like the Havana last year, remember? It was all uncovered in certain areas some of that's been covered up i understand and now it's uncovered in another area yeah yeah because i can remember being on max rec uh, i think it was the second year and the sand had had grown up and it was coming up the side rail and everything was buried and then the, the following year everything was like exposed more than we had ever seen it and in years i mean years ago there was stuff all over the place mm-hmm. i mean you could go into it and you'd find uh, shackles, you'd find the rigging that they would use for raising and lowering the mast mm-hmm. that attaches to the sail, the rings, the mast rings. Yep. Uh, you could probably find that again when it starts getting unencumbered by sand. Yep, just uh, it's it's dynamic, the bottom down there, and things come and go, and part of the fun of the, the season kicking off. Yeah, I'm finally getting around to posting the pictures on the club site, the Scuba Obsessed site. I'll get that finished hopefully tomorrow because mm-hmm. I got the newsletter done today. Yep. So I posted that. And uh, did you want to do the lessons for life? Yeah. Yeah, I, this is what's going to be in the newsletter, but for the people who don't get the newsletter. Uh, so under Diver's Corner, lessons for life. And what we do, this is referenced as, Here you're continuing to read about many different events which resulted in a diver dying. And as you read the accounts, what do you see as the root cause for the drownings? And ask yourself if you could have been one of those divers. But simple actions can help prevent these fatal events. So, and then we ask, you know, read it, talk about it. So at the meeting, let's find out, could we have done that ourselves? I mean, it looks so obvious. Experienced diver does this. Well, how often have we did an oopsie, and that could have well just as well been us. Well, this one here starts out with when renting scuba gear goes wrong. And this talks about an experienced diver loses out on his vacation after ignoring symptoms of DCI. 
Anthony and his wife opted to travel light on vacation because of the baggage weight restrictions. He left his dive gear at home. When he had a chance to make a couple of dives, he borrowed gear from a local shop. He knew he was experienced enough to be comfortable handling unfamiliar gear, so that really wasn't a problem. But during the dive, Anthony noticed his low-pressure inflator kept sticking, filling his BC with air. When it came time to return to the surface from nearly 100 feet, he felt himself ascending much faster than he should be. Now it goes into details about the diver. The diver. At 63 years old, Anthony has been diving for more than 30 years. He was an avid diver and instructor who did not take any medications. He had logged more than 2,000 dives. The dive. Anthony was diving with his wife from a charter boat operated by a dive shop near where they were staying. For the first dive of the trip, he made a dive to 97 feet for 20 minutes. Throughout the dive, he struggled with his buoyancy control as his low-pressure inflator continually added air to the BC. He floated upward, bent it down, floated up, bent it down, and eventually he just stayed on the bottom. His wife experienced no problem whatsoever during the dive. The accident. As Anthony and his wife ended their dive, Anthony struggled to ascend at a safe rate. He continually vented his BC as he surfaced, but ended up setting off the rapid ascent alarm on his dive computer in the last 30 feet. He finally got his ascent control under control just before he reached the surface. Other than triggering the alarm, he did not have any problems on the dive, did not omit any mandatory decompression, but he did not make that normal safety stop. Considering the gear problems, Anthony decided not to make a second dive that day. But two hours later, he noticed his right shoulder was hurting. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst, he rated it as a 6. Like a lot of vacationers, he had other things to do and wasn't convinced the shoulder pain was dive-related. Could have just strained himself putting a tank on. He waited 48 hours to see if the pain would resolve on it on its own. It did not. So he contacted the diving physician near who was staying, diagnosed as pain-only DCI, was treated to the U.S. Navy Table 6. Following the treatment, pain in the shoulder reduced to 4 out of 10. So the chamber gave him two more treatments, each one given better relief, but not completely eliminating the symptoms. He estimated he was at 80% of normal function. Then the physician said, you need to wait at least 72 hours before flying home, which is what he did, meaning he didn't get any more dives in. On the airplane, he noticed the pain in the shoulder was getting slightly worse as he was flying back. When he landed, he contacted the physician experienced in diving medicine, who then set him up and received a fourth U.S. dive near Navy Table 6 treatment, which resolved most of the symptoms. Although his, let me rephrase that, all of his residual symptoms took a month to resolve, and then he returned to diving, and he's not had any issues in the last two years from that point. So the analysis talked about two big lessons from this incident. One, don't use faulty equipment. Don't delay treatment if you think you have a problem. When he realized there was a problem with the BC, he should have aborted the dive at the, at the minimum boarded it earlier, gotten another BC, or totally called off the dive. His self-confidence and his ability to continue with it, based on his experience, you know, he struggled throughout, but he got the dive done, right? 
But even that part, when he made that rapid ascent, that was unplanned. And even with his experience, it took everything he could do to control that so he didn't look like Rocket Man coming up. So like he said, had he been able to make more dives during the week rather than making a series of expensive hyperbaric, hyperbaric chamber dives, you know, when in doubt, you stop. And then there is an hour, the article talking about the basic mechanism of decompression. And they still cannot understand why some divers can do hundreds of dives without developing the symptoms of a single, you know, DCI incident when the guy by them doing the exact same dive does. They said there's many contributing factors such as the dive depth, ascent rates, bottom times, performance of a safety stop, plus attitude, hydration of the individual, and their mental perspective. If they're excited, they do different than if they're calm and collected. It said likely the biggest contributing factor in this case was the rapid ascent caused by malfunction in B.C. Obviously, the greatest change was in that last 33 feet. And like they said, as the diver, the pressure on your body is cut in half, going only two atmospheres, ambient to one. Since that was the last part of the dive where he experienced a rapid descent, he should have really been immediately suspicious of the shoulder pain that he experienced hours later. They also referenced that had he sought treatment sooner, instead of waiting 48 hours, the chances are his symptom resolution would have been completed quicker, easier, and he may not have been diving, you know, the rest of the vacation, but he wouldn't have had any issues on the airplane home. So the key items that we're talking about is when in doubt, you know, do the aspect and get it checked out. And then after you have an event like that, the body's got to have sufficient time to heal. So don't press going back into the water just because you think you feel good. So that's the major item there. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many little things that if you'd done a di- little bit different, I uh, could have had quite a bit of a better outcome. Well, like they said, denial is a big problem for treatment for dive accidents because divers ignore the possible symptoms for a number of reasons. The common one is I'm sore because my tank, my straps, my suit, oh. you know, and it's true. But here's the thing, and I, and I know where they come from. I haven't gone diving in a couple of weeks. But there's like five times where I've hurt, just like he described in there, that is nothing to do with diving. So I, it's, it, you almost have to be a little bit paranoid and, and say, you know, if there's at all a chance, you know, need to err on the conservative side. Well, it's like, uh, so we're doing river diving and we're in 20. 20- right. It's yeah. not, it's probably not going to be DCI, no. you know. Not unless you just popped up 20 feet from nothing and held your breath the whole way. And then I think you're going to have some immediate feedback. Yeah, you're, you're not going to have to wait to figure out what happened there. But uh, I, I can certainly understand. I'm, uh, that's where I, my big concern is I'm, I just push through it. Here's a conditioning of work and other things. And you just, it's not your first instinct to go and complain that you got an alley or something. Well, and like you said, he was experienced. It was a pain in the butt to, to work with the BC, but he he managed because of his experience. A less experienced person probably would have come up sooner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So in this case, you know, what would you have done? And I think we've all been there where you got a leaky BC, but never to the extent I had to constantly vent. No, no, I've 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 never had one that. 
And if I was venting at 100 feet, I'm coming to hell up. Because yeah. one, you're losing. How much air are you losing? Oh, yeah. When you're, when you're deep, there's, I, I don't like, you know, easy to backseat drive. But when you're any deeper than 30, 40 feet and you start having problems like that, it's just everything is exponential. It's magnified. Yeah, you're, you're, it cascades you're, easy. You're, you're putting more air in, and and from that depth, you 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 should not be doing an emergency ascent to the surface. So you don't want to even risk it. You know, come on up. It's not it's it's not worth it. Yeah. Even with my own gear, if I was in my own gear, I've dove a hundred times, and I have that problem. You know, it, it's time to call it. But realistically, most of us don't do that because uh, we can handle a little discomfort. We can handle a little bit of problems, and that's where. That's where you see that cascade part. It's that chain where you have a lot of little links, the accident chain. It's never one major. It's a lot of little cumulative items. You know better, but you don't. Yeah. And if that was your kid, you'd get all over them. You should have come up. You oh, know? Of course. We're always tougher on our kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's just kind of go a little bit through the chat room. They have some great conversations going on there, like we've said before. Some of the best conversations are there in the chat room talking about some nice manta dives that have been that he had done. Uh, and then they gave us some information on the quarry. Karen had gone and done some research. It was originally known as Deniston Farm. There was a fight with the France Stone Quarry to turn it into a quarry in the courts, and it was finally found in favor of the Stone Company. The quarry ceased operations in 1993, and the pumps were shut off. Quarry slowly filled over the next 15 years until it started overflowing into the neighbor's yards in 2008. <laughs> uh, some sort of drain had been developed. The quarry is entirely on private property, meaning that there is no public access to it, and the owner discourages trespassing, but has not at all been successful. No trespassing signs are quickly torn down by locals, and the area is known for having lots of trash around it. Parking is also a challenging area, and most of the streets around the quarry have signs for no parking, and the police and tow companies are quick to tow offenders. Well, did you look at any of the videos? I, no, I haven't. I'd kill this connection if I did. I can, I can see where people like salt water, visibility, colors, fish. See, I don't want to be influenced by that. It's because, you know, what we don't have. I can see if you did a lot of that, you wouldn't dive where we dive. Yeah, that will ruin you. Isn't there a saying in the dive club is that, you know, when somebody does that, you just say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never see them again. (laughs) They're just. Well, then we have uh, a cheese fry. He went down to Florida, and I don't know. He's just enjoying it too much. Yeah, I saw him at an airport the other day with an airplane in the background, so I don't know if he's taken up flying or that, not. That's what I was I know wondering. His, yeah, because his brother flies and has a nice plane, oh. so I just wondered if he was following in his brother's footsteps. Or maybe that was his brother's plane and he was just hanging out with him. But, yeah, doing good for himself down there. Hey, as long as you like it and the hurricanes don't get to you, go for it. Yeah. I mean, that last one really surprised a lot of people down there. What was 165 mile hour winds? Yes. It changed from not too bad in what 24 hours to oh my god. Yeah, yeah. We had friends who were evacuated from down there. Uh, the spot, uh, you know, the, where I had stayed and went, went diving down in Florida, they had to leave. 
And there's, I understand there's been a ton of damage. I haven't seen, I haven't had a chance to look at any photos yet. Yeah. And then it, and then it seems like just as quick as it came and was bad, then it kind of died off. Yeah. Blew in and blew out. So if you'd like to follow us, you can visit our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We're on Twitter at scuba obsessed. If you have any means and you would like to help us out, we would certainly appreciate it. We understand if you can't, but if you can, visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Look on the Patreon link. Any amounts, $3 or more, get you early access to our show notes. Helps keep us on the air. We're getting to that time of the year. we got to pay those hosting fees, keep things hosted. And we have, as of today, 383rd episode, and that's not including bonus episodes. That is probably about 500, 600 hours of content, millions of downloads over the years. Certainly appreciate you, our, our listeners and fans, and let us know what you'd like us to do. Uh, we're hitting here in, at least in a northern hemisphere, a little bit of off-season type of diving, so it, we may slow down a little bit, especially if the river stays ripping. But uh, this, is, this is an unusual year because we normally live down there mm-hmm. in... End of August through October. Yes. We, I mean, we're normally there every Thursday and quite often during the weekend. And with this continuous rain and fast currents, we have not availed our, well, we've not been able to get out there and do our normal work. Yeah, we have, we have not had a whole lot of in the river time. And then, uh, like I, I noticed from uh, just a lawn maintenance perspective, I think we have had more weekends with rain than I remember in a long time. And it, and, I, and I'd read something that it was that cycle because we're east of Chicago and, uh, you know, the commuters put stuff in the air all week and it seems to like be a catalyst for it to rain on the weekends. I don't know if that's true or not, but we've had soggy, soggy year. Not, not I've, I, I'm going to say not flooding, but we had flooding before the year even started. But I had some lousy issues with Flooding in my basement for three months, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I've had to cut grass like crazy this year. Yes. Yeah, It's it's been growing. It's been uh, good for lawns and forests and stuff, I'm sure. And moles. Moles. Oh, suckers are out in forests this week. I got them in the side and the front. Uh, and I've got, I got four traps out there now. I keep saying, please, please, screw up. Well, the, the uh, as I talked earlier, it was the, uh, the stink bugs, sir starting to be a mess uh, last year was the the first year i really remember them being a huge problem and then uh this year they're if they're not as bad they're almost but uh i didn't get things shut up as as early as i could so about a week and a half ago they just tested that we vacuumed up probably eight or nine hundred of the little buggers which they're not at all happy when you do that and they let you know talking about insects so uh, have you noticed that the density of the insects this year have been reduced probably by 50%? There was a couple of articles on that. One, they call it the car test. And they said, go out there and look at your car and see how many bugs you have through your windscreen mm-hmm. and your radiator. And what it looks like in between times of washing. So I thought about that and it's like, you know, they're absolutely right. I've had a lot less impact on bugs and stuff this year. I, I agree. I haven't had as many. And that's one of the items they were saying is the number of insects, the quantity has been down tremendously. And they said, 
And how often do you see bats anymore? I have not and seen I got a bat thinking, in a long I've been time. to the football games all this, you know, every Friday or Thursday night, and I started looking for bats. And usually used to be at the game, and you'd watch them dart in and out of the lights just eating up those moths. Well, there's not a lot of bugs by the lights. So it's like, hmm, wonder what's going on there. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that. Because we used to see them, we'd, we'd do bonfires in the backyard, which we, because of all the rain, haven't been able to do recently. Uh, but you'd be able to sit and just look up, especially at kind of a dust time, and the bats would come out and be flying up in the air, and haven't seen them in the last few years. Yeah, not the quantities anyway. But I did notice the other day, I, um, Kevin came over. Um, I went ahead and gave him my metal detector to get some experience with it. And we were just walking on the backyard and walking through the grass towards, you know, evening. Swarms of itty-bitty mosquitoes. Not the big ones, but enough to be extremely irritating. Yeah. Yeah, mosquitoes the last two or three weeks have been worse than they have been all year. But like you said, they're young ones, so that's making me think that the rain is just hatching out what was ready to come. But Yeah. But I don't know why with being as wet as it has this year, we haven't had them earlier. But now I'm, now I'm hoping for a freeze, just kill everything off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not get too quick with the freeze, though. It's, it's Let's coming. get over Halloween. Let's get Halloween yeah, out. We, we maybe have one more Indian summer up here, uh, and then we'll... We'll be back. Uh, Karen in the chat room saying Friday night they're calling for frost. Oh, <laughs> that's football game night. Don't say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, did you have anything you want to plug before we get on with it? Uh, not that I can think about right at this particular moment. Yep. So, don't forget to support your local dive shops as we get into that end of the season. They'd certainly appreciate your business. Uh, if you have any service you need done, they're probably also a good time if you want to extend and get some deals now's the time to do it and uh we're, we're entering that research time of the year so make sure you appreciate your librarians so let's uh i'm, I'm i think uh, i we're at that time of the show do you you ready yes i'm ready i'm sitting down okay here we go a new dive business is opening and one of the owner's friends wanted to send him flowers for the occasion the flowers arrived at the dive shop and the owner read the card rest in peace the owner was annoyed, so he called to complain. Sir, I'm really sorry about the mistake, and sorry you were offended, said the florist. But even worse, somewhere there's a funeral taking place, and the flowers have a note saying, Congratulations on your new location. <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's bad. <laughs> I saw one the other day. Somebody sent it out. It's a black pickup truck with a trailer with a boat and the coffin in the back on the way to the to the cemetery. And the guy was talking to another one who had just seen that and says, wow, that guy must have been one hell of a fisherman. He, yeah, still is. As soon as he buries his wife, he's going fishing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> on that note, uh, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.
Obsessed, episode 383, is recorded live August. Was recorded live October 11th, 2018. <laughs> now we're going to have to do that one again. <laughs> uh.